0: Everybody, welcome to the March 1st, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the 10th anniversary of the aniver- of the closing of the Rocky Mountain News. Michael Roberts of Westward featured a great interview with John Temple this week, who was at the helm when Scripps Howard decided to close the paper. Peta Cahoon from Westward, uh, besides what we heard from John Temple in your publication Ten years seem to go by pretty fast, and a whole lot has changed in the media environment in Colorado. What do you think?
1: Well, and he was on Craig's show, too. It's almost impossible to imagine what it was like and how robust the news was in Denver when we had two strong newsrooms competing heavily against each other. We probably have. I was estimating a sixth to a tenth of the number of daily reporters and employees that we did 15 years ago. Uh, it used to be we didn't realize it at the time. What a privilege it was to have not one but two papers thwack against our doors in the morning. Now, even if you subscribe to the Denver Post, it barely makes a thwack. I mean, if it lands at all, you're lucky because it's quite light. Although your <laughs> reporting is very heavy, Nick. Anyway, it is. Um, it was sad that the Rocky Mountain News almost made its 150th anniversary, mm-hmm. died two months before it was going to get there, and it just is so sad for the end of an era and a long chapter of Colorado history.
0: Indeed. Craig Silverman, as previewed by our friend Miss Calhoun, uh, attorney and radio talk show host at 710K U.S. I guess it was just last week or uh, soon that you had John Temple on your radio show. Yes. W- what was the interview like for folks that have missed it, and can we get it on the website? Oh, yeah, it's on the podcast um February
2: twenty third hour. Westward and Michael Roberts did a terrific job, but I explored John Temple's fascinating personal story, and then we moved on to The Rocky, which was a great paper. If you've never heard John Temple's personal story, I urge you to listen to the podcast. Um, I, was, I grew up here, I always liked The Rocky better than The Post. Uh, it was a little more conservative than The Post, and uh, I liked the tabloid style. Of course, when the Rocky endorsed me in 1996 over Bill Ritter, uh, I loved that as well. I had the privilege of writing a lot for the Rocky. And then they partnered with us in the battle to expose the truth about Ward Churchill. I like that, too. So goodbye again, Rocky Mountain News. May your memory be for a blessing
0: you're here nick garcia reporter with the denver post joins us it's great to have you back on the panel nick uh the post has uh it went through a lot of uh uh, losses of different reporters but you're part of a more of a growth that we've seen from different reporters and you've seen you've been part of the new era i guess in the media in colorado what's it like to look back at the rocky and your own personal
3: connection yeah you know the I miss the Rocky deeply. It's the reason I am in Denver. I received a scholarship from them to come up to study journalism at MSU Denver. but, you know, it's it's so fun to be at the Denver Post right now. It's in the middle of a renaissance, and I'm happy to say we're still, like, the most read news organization in Colorado. You know, we beat by millions and upon millions of page views every week. Um, having said that, though, I think at this moment in time, while we do mourn the Rocky, it's incredibly important to... Take stock of what has come about in his absence. Chalkbeat, my former employer, Streets Blog Denver, the Colorado Independent over Mm -hmm. here. You know, so many great newsrooms have sprung up over the last decade that are telling new and different stories that might not have existed, even if there were two newspapers that had concentration of the narrative in the city. So it's a mixed blessings, but um, yeah. All the guests are doing a wonderful job uh,
0: segueing into the next one. Susan Green, editor of the Colorado Independent, uh, joins us. Susan, you are part of that group that is, I, I'm not sure if it, filling the void is there, but as part of that evolution of media in Denver. What has it been like to be part of that and looking back at 10 years without the Rocky?
4: Right. Well, so I was at the Post when the Rocky went under, and it was a hugely dark time for us as well because I don't think many people know. It was unclear. Up until the very end which paper would go down and regardless of which paper went down half of our friends were going to lose their their jobs and their careers and the city would suffer and the moment the rocky mountain news did shut down my column at the at the post um really within a couple weeks they started spiking certain columns about certain topics so the absence of a really vibrant competition in our media market Um, Breeds that kind of, you know, cozy relationships um, with between, let's say, the business people or the editors at a paper and power people who don't want negative things written about them. And so, you would see um, Susan Green is taking the day off today. Suddenly, well, Susan Green didn't take the day off. Susan Green wrote a column that you people spiked. And so, um, what those of us who have sort of. Spread our wings a little bit and and started nonprofit or independent newsrooms are doing is there 's no way we can fill a void of a daily newspaper with that kind of reach and those types of resources and as john temple said it 's really impossible to do in these economic circumstances. He wrote an amazing piece in the Atlantic that I urge everyone to read that calls for um, civic leaders and <clears throat> readers of news and people who care about their states and their cities and their country to be much more involved in innovation and um, sort of support of the new news outlets that have emerged. Mm-hmm.
0: As a, a member and employee of one of the two public television stations in Denver, I've always felt the community's better off when you have two. It makes each other better, we're better stations for it, uh, and hopefully that can continue.
4: Never go away.
0: <laughs> we will do our very best. Okay. <laughs> As Senator Michael Bennett and former Governor John Hickenlooper crisscrossed Iowa this week, Hicklooper spoke out at a campaign stop and said he doesn't believe he was cut out to be a senator. He dismissed the rumors that he'll be running for a Senate seat after Democratic leaders approached him about running against Colorado Republican Senator Cory Gardner. And as we tape this program, reports have come out this morning about a permit being pulled for a celebration on March 7th, I believe, at the Denver Civic Center uh, that happens to possibly have some connections to the Hickenlooper campaign. Patty, did Andrew Romanoff and Mike Johnson have a great week this week with all the people saying that they don't want to run for Senate, or is there room for uh, John Hickenlooper to change his mind if, if Iowa doesn't go the way he wants it to go?
1: I don't think John Hickenlooper is going to change his mind about the Senate race, although he clearly has changed his mind from 2009 when Michael Bennett was the surprise appointment to Ken Salazar's empty seat when Hickenlooper thought probably being a senator would have been a good fit. But since then he went on to finish out almost finish out his terms as mayor of Denver and move on to governor. And Hickenlooper is much more a CEO type than Bennett is, for example. He likes being the leader. You can't really see that at this point in his career he would have fun being one of a hundred senators. I think he would rather be the CEO, whether it's of the country or of another effort he goes on to. So it's not a surprise that at this point in his life he doesn't think being a senator is a fit. Um, Bennett obviously has been a good senator and has thought it's a fit. It's just wild that we actually have two candidates right now from Colorado who are looking at a presidential run. I'm not sure yet how much we can read into booking the Civic Center, because we might remember the last time we had two Colorado candidates running the same year was 87 when Pat Schroeder was looking at a run, and she de- she announced from the Civic Center that she was not going to run for president.
0: That is a very good point. Uh, excellent reminder of Colorado history there, Patty. Craig, what do you think from the announcement? Uh, is Hickelberg in this for the long haul? Well, Good source is Patty Calhoun. She knows him pretty darn
2: well, and that's so instructive. And I was there when Pat Schroeder started crying in Civic Center Park. I had Governor Polis on, and his inaugural, he called it Civic Park. I said, You're not from Denver, it's <laughs> Civic Center Park. But that's where Pat Schroeder had that. And if you think about Denver history, and I do, Bill Ritter is the guy who had the choice between. John Hickenlooper and Michael Bennett, and he made that fateful decision for Michael Bennett. I, of course, remember, as we all do, Michael Bennett, chief of staff for Mayor Hickenlooper, and it goes way back uh, in Colorado, and it's interesting, these two men from Colorado, they are so different. One is introverted, Michael Bennett, the other is a natural extrovert, John Hickenlooper, and you'd think the extrovert would be the lawyer, but no, the lawyer is Bennett and Hickenlooper is the geologist but he's like the every guy and maybe I'll catch fire Jay Inslee announced today and um, Beto may get in it over the weekend along with Joe Biden where does Hickenlooper fit in I don't know maybe you just have to go along and uh, hope other people make mistakes and he is the anti-Trump and I think that's the message that he's taking forth.
0: Nick, I've been very excited to have you on the program for multiple reasons to have you back on, but especially this week because you get to share with our viewers what's it
3: been like to be in Iowa and on the trail with uh, John Hicklooper in Iowa. Yeah, so first of all, Iowa takes care of its roads and blizzards, so that's, <laughs> that's fun. Um, had no problem navigating the highways there, uh, unlike in Colorado. That said, I think both gentlemen have been um, well-received in Iowa, if not cautiously, Every Iowa voter, every Iowa Democrat I talk to has told me repeatedly they're not backing any candidate. It's far too early. I mean, even people who, you know, caucused for Bernie are telling me, Bernie Sanders, the Vermont senator, are telling me that they just can't get behind him at this point in time. It's too early. I do think that there is a. Some sort of a split. I don't know how big it is. On what is the perfect candidate to take on Donald Trump? I think uh, Governor Hickenlooper thinks that the more uh, pragmatic progressive—that's that's his self-identifying uh, moniker these days—is someone who can go into Trump country and take a, take him on there. Whereas there are other, you know, candidates like a Kamala Harris or a Cory Booker who think someone who is on the far left of Trump is is better suited. I do not envy Iowa Democrats at all. They are going to have a very, very, very long year of people coming up to them and begging for their votes at the caucus. And it will be fascinating to see how Hickenlooper, who is starting off behind in the polls, will catch fire. But I think it's important to remember that Hickenlooper started his career behind in the polls when he first ran for mayor, right? He was a Hicken who? Um, so. It's not that he's never done this before. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of parallels from his first race to this race. Susan, when you see the developments this week, is it more about John Hickenlooper running for president
0: or is it more about potentially the gates opening up about less big name competition for the US Senate race in 2020 in Colorado?
4: You know, I think John Hickenlooper running for president and uh, Michael Bennett, the potential of him running for president they're kind of, they're news here because we are from here and we know them and we've, they're they're our elected, are our elected officials. Um, But I don't think nationally, you know, neither was on the Time Magazine um, cover uh, looking at, in that little uh, illustration, looking into the Oval Office. I mean, I don't think that the nation considers them nearly the heavyweights that that we do here. I think, um, to answer your question more directly, yeah, I think very much the news now is Gardner's seat, and um, will there be someone besides you know, Johnston and um, Romanoff stepping up? I think, and I know we're going to talk about it later in the show, <laughs> which is probably why you asked me, Krasanta um, Duran's um, uh, backing out of that Senate race to challenge Gardner and decision to instead, in a primary, challenge um, Congresswoman Diana DeGette from Denver was huge. I was actually out of the country and not checking my emails, um, but when I saw that story, that to me was the one story in my two weeks off that really surprised me. And um, there's a lot to discuss about that. I mean, what, what is Duran thinking and um, what becomes of her career now that she's really angered a lot of people in, in making that decision.
0: In a masterful segue from our friend Susan, (laughs) former Colorado House Speaker Chrysantha Duran announced that she will run as a primary challenger against Representative Diana DeGette in Colorado's first congressional district next year. In an email to constituents, Duran says it was time for a change in Colorado. Craig, I've been trying to figure this one out, and I'm not a bright mind when it comes to politics, but I'm at least interested. And I am baffled. We are nearly guaranteed to have a second congressional seat, whether it's in Denver or at least near Denver, after the 2020 census. Uh, You have Diana DeGette, who is extremely – she was at least influential enough to almost run for, I guess, majority whip it would have been for this year. Didn't come to pass, but at least her name was in the mix and Crisanta Duran decides that's the race for her. What
2: do you think? I don't know the personal history between Diana Degan and Crisanta Duran. And then what about Federico Pena now in Crisanta? So maybe there's bad blood. I'm interested to see what Wellington Webb does, Michael Hancock. We already brought, brought up Pat Schroeder. I mean, I remember when she decided she wasn't going to run, and various people were mentioned. If you remember Doug Friedney was the most prominent candidate, then a story came out in the paper. My name was even mentioned by Westward. That was fake news. <laughs> I was always looking for Denver DA. Not the Westwards <laughs> a fake newspaper. But this seat doesn't come open very often. So Chris Duran got tired of waiting and look, it's time for younger people, it's time for people of color. It's time for women. Oh yeah, Diana gets a woman, but you mentioned she might have been majority whip, but she didn't get the job, and she isn't on any of these big committees. And for somebody who's been there that long, some would say, why aren't you a more high-profile person in this big Congress?
0: Nick, you cover politics in Colorado. What's, what's been the general
3: uh, reaction that you have seen from this announcement? I mean, people are dumbfounded. I mean, just to put it... You know, frankly, I will say though to Craig's point, what I think dumbfounds me the most is that actually Diana DeGette is going to be in the limelight a lot this year. She does have subpoena power on her oversight committee. She is taking on the EPA. She is taking on the Department of Health and Human Services over the migration um, family separation policy. So, you know, if this had happened two years ago or when Diana DeGette did have a challenge, that would have made more sense to me. But she is going to be in the limelight and. I think what is really fascinating is all the names that are now going to be talked about a lot, including State Senator Kerry Donovan. She is up from the mountains. Uh, uh, U.S. Representative Jonah Goose, uh, someone close to him, told me he's getting a lot of phone calls. So while I do think that Hickenlooper and Duran leave a vacuum, I think we're going to see that vacuum filled very quickly. Susan, do you think, okay, if Crisanta Duran decides she
0: doesn't want to run for Senate and there's a potential new seat to run for in 2022, she's going to look at these next three years and say, either I can go off and, and I'm not going to say tilt at a windmill, but take on a formidable challenger as I am to get and possibly lose, likely lose, or not be in an elected limelight for a couple of years. What is the better Idea for somebody who might be looking at a better situation in 2022.
4: Yeah, I mean, I can't begin to put myself in her head here. I I do know about her that she's um, incredibly cautious, right? Um, She's very careful in even speaking to the media here, who she's known for years. I mean, she's, she's, I think she's in many ways kind of risk averse. So that's what's so baffling about this is that weirdly, in some ways, maybe her chances of unseating Cory Gardner, the U.S. Senator next year, were were maybe even better than unseating Diana DeGette in Denver. And again, I'm not going to put myself in her head, nor in the heads of the Democratic Party. But what I do hear within the Democratic Party, especially among women who've really lined up behind her, who are very interested in in electing our first either U.S. governor or at this time U.S. senator because we've never had one and we're we're one of 10 states that hasn't. Um, I think they feel betrayed and I think they felt very much like this move was um, very much about Chrisanta and not about the sort of general picture of the state politically and the nation politically. Um, I think there's another issue too which is you know, no matter um, how Romanoff and Johnston portray themselves, um, both purport to be progressives, um, but have histories of being um, really not so much. And Crisanta does have a history, a much more progressive history in this state. And I think there would have been a lot of energy behind her for that reason. And so it does baffle me. I feel in a way like this could be um, real political suicide for her.
0: Patty, this is your congressional district. Is there something about CD1 we need to know?
4: Well, uh,
1: yes. It's always going to be occupied by a Democrat. No, <laughs> that's what you need to know. It, we're not sure which one in this case. As long as Craig has already brought up fake news, let me uh, posit something that would have been really interesting. Since Corsanta Duran is clearly not scared of taking on an incumbent, I mean, and that really was a shocking bombshell on Sunday. What if a year ago, Remember, we were just talking about Leslie Branch Weiss and the mayor of Denver a year ago. What if she had at that time said, I'm going to take on Michael Hancock? It would have been a fascinating race, and we would be looking at a very different mayoral landscape. In this case, we're going to have a great fight between uh, up until the primary. But still, I would have been really interested to see what would have happened if she'd gone for mayor.
0: Should be interesting to watch. The city of Denver settled a lawsuit on Wednesday that will mean changes in its policies dealing with the homeless. Police will now offer seven-day warnings before large-scale sweeps of encampments and keep property available longer. The settlement also includes new ways to work with homeless individuals and their advocates. <laughs> Nick, homelessness has been an enti- a huge issue in Colorado politics.
3: What do you think of this settlement? Does it move the needle one way or the other? Yeah, so I turned to my colleague Andy uh, Kenny, who covers the City Hall for us, uh, for his insights. And what he told me was that this is going to be the biggest victory for uh, advocates, for people who are living with home- uh, living in homelessness at the moment. But what we're going to see in uh, the upcoming election is another ballot initiative that would more codify uh, some of the uh, ways Denver manages uh, these people. That said, uh, he did note that more cynically, this does save uh, mayoral candidates who are going to be on the ballot in 2019 from having to weigh into this issue. So that is uh, a lucky break for them. Susan, the Independent's done a lot of work when it comes to uh, homeless issues advocacy. What do you
0: make of the lawsuit uh, settlement?
4: Um, I can't believe it took litigation to get to this point. It's, it dumbfounds me. Um, you have a mayor who purports to care about the homeless, who has said on multiple occasions it's it's one of the benchmarks of his mayoralship. And they have gone out for years, and, and I want to note that there have been citizen journalists in this city, including homeless people, who have taken, who have chronicled these sweeps. So just this element of surprise, you're homeless, you're in a, an encampment somewhere, and the police, with no notice at all, come and raise this place where you live. And it's humane, and it's inhumane, and it's pretty atrocious, I would say. So... You know it's not a done deal yet um, apparently the city council a judge and a city council need to approve this but you know I don't agree with Nick that you know it saves these council candidates or even the other mayoral candidates from having to talk about it I think they're chomping at the bit to talk about it and I think this type of callousness from this administration and this police department will be a major issue in this campaign
0: Patty, does this strengthen or weaken the campaign for the right to rest initiative that's probably going to, it's on the Denver ballot for May?
1: It just adds to it because even though this looks like it's going to be settled, and speaking of someone who has just given seven days to clean up her office, <laughs> I could say seven days is perfect for a sweep. It gives you time to, fair warning. But there is no question that homelessness and how the city is dealing with it, whether through this settlement, whether fighting the right to rest, this is going to be a huge topic in the next two months as we go into the mayor's race. There is nothing, except maybe affordability, and that plays into this, that is more on people's minds when they look at the optics of this city. Can we help people experiencing homelessness? Do we sweep them out of sight? What does it mean that so many people are on the streets? These are questions that every single mayoral candidate is going to have to address.
0: Craig, wrap it up for us. You have a lot of experience as an attorney within the city. Well,
2: um, forget what Patty just said, because seven days is not enough. You need a lawyer. Like these homeless people had a lawyer, I think I can help you out. The lawyers for the homeless, they did a good job, and they're going to be well compensated by Denver tax money. And that's what it comes down to. What do Denverites want? I think they want the homeless treated humanely, but... You really don't want homeless to be too comfortable because then you get more homeless, and the word gets around, and then the city becomes unlivable for all of us. This Initiative 300, it will be a big issue, even between Duran and DeGeck. Let's see what side they take on it.
0: Well, it's time to get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off.
2: As Denver Public Schools
1: looks at its administration, which it's cutting back positions to accommodate um, the agreement made with teachers, let's look at the communications department and maybe that they need someone with common sense watching the communications that are going out. Most recently the George Washington opt out of the um, African-American heritage celebration. Um, That's one where even if it was uh, what the city, the schools have done before. Look it over, and maybe it's time to come up with clearer communications.
0: Craig?
2: Donald Trump apparently was unwilling to say it, but I'll say it. Kim Jong-un was a disgrace for what he did to Otto Warmbier. And uh, the good news out of Vietnam is we saw that apparently Kim is a heavy smoker. I saw him have two during that train break, and God willing, maybe he'll get emphysema and stroke and uh, be tortured the way Otto Warmbier was.
3: Nick? I'm going to go with Representative Mark Meadows from North Carolina who brought up a uh, African-American employee to argue that Donald Trump isn't a racist. Now, I'm not saying that Donald Trump is a racist, but I am saying that just because you have black friends doesn't make you not a racist. <laughs> Susan?
4: Disgrace of the week, the powers that be at the Boulder Daily Camera, who on Tuesday, the day of the funeral of the camera's beloved executive editor Kevin Kaufman announced more layoffs. And more broadly to Alden Global Media, um, the owner, for just continuing to make cuts that are decimating that newspaper. They're not even replacing Kevin Kaufman as executive editor. And uh, that's a black mark, not just on Boulder community, but on all of us, really. One more newspaper in its demise.
0: Let's say something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty?
4: The Rocky Mountain News employees who lost their jobs 10
1: years ago, they're having a reunion. And to see Dusty Saunders is coming back with a blog. And John Enslin,
2: great reporter, is coming back to work.
0: Great to see it. They
2: did a necropsy on that poor northern Colorado mountain lion, but it proved what we already knew (laughs) just from watching Travis Kaufman give his version of events. There was a man with credibility and a lot of gumption I'll say something nice about Travis Kaufman.
3: Nick? The Next50 initiative, they are working on changing the narrative and trying to argue that we need to keep uh, older workers and hire older workers to uh, keep the workplace happy. Susan?
4: Carrie Ann Lucas, whose memorial service was this morning, as we taped this, um, a disability rights attorney, activist, Magnificent organizer, communicator, woman, and person. I do not use the word hero lightly, and Carrie would cringe at me saying this. But on the occasion of her death, I will admit I was kind of in love with her. And I think anyone with a disability in this state, anyone with a child with a disability, anyone with a future disability they don't know about, owes a debt of gratitude for the work she did breaking down barriers.
0: They're here. Okay, I've been teasing about a big surprise coming. I can finally tell you all about it. For all of you CPT-12 supporters at the $60 level or more, and that includes you all all of you sustaining members at $5 a month, we have a great new member benefit for you. You can now enjoy 24-7 access to great PBS and CPT-12 programs wherever whenever you want on CPT-12 Passport. If you're already a member, check your email for Our invitation to sign on or go to cpt12.org for more information. We're really excited about this new member benefit. Hope you take advantage of it. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.